Hello, and thank you for joining us for our monthly Meet a Member segment. This week, Tanya Subatang, Membership Manager for CFA Society San Francisco, interviews Sylvia Kwan, CIO of Elevest and founder of Simply Smart Asset Management. Sylvia is a CFA Society San Francisco member and has been featured as a forever influential woman in business as named by the San Francisco Business Times. Please enjoy this illuminating interview where they discuss diversity in the industry, workplace changes due to COVID, and the future of the investment community. First question, I'm going to keep it easy for this one, but in an interview, you had mentioned your father quit his engineering job to take as a hobby for trading stocks full time. Was he an inspiration to you getting to the industry or what got you into the investment industry? <laughs> it's actually quite the opposite. <laughs> um, not because I, did, you know, purposely chose not to, but, um, you know, you, you, you might um, you know, I don't know how it is in your family, but culturally in our family, at least, yeah. you know, it was important, you know, especially for my parents who were immigrants to have like that steady job, like with the established corporation, you know, just keep your head down, work hard and, you know, you'll be successful. And so when my father changed careers and became a stockbroker, she basically felt that was like no better than being like a used car salesman. Um, and so she admonished my brother and I is like, don't do whatever you want, but don't follow in your dad's footsteps. And so I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, you're a kid, like, what do you know? Right. So I'm like, you know, okay, fine. Like uh, it doesn't, you know, it, it, it really didn't have any like ambitions of, of doing so. And so it was, um, a surprise, um, to have ended up, um, where I am. And I also, you know, my undergraduate degree is actually in computer science. So I actually had planned to go into the computer industry and, ended up so I do think it is in my DNA actually following in my dad's stuff. although it was you know it's a different time and a different place um but yeah so that's uh that's my story <laughs> I, I completely understand what you know I think you and I can both share the same cultural background in, in that you know stick with a job that is easy to understand right easy to just put your head down and work so um with that being said, you know, you are currently the CIO for Elevis and the founder and CEO for Simply Smart Asset. I mean, that's, those are quite big achievements. Um, what is your advice for women or anybody really desiring to become a CIO? So I, I think that being a CIO requires just wearing a lot of different hats. Um, and so my advice would be to gain as much experience as possible that's outside of your current area of expertise. And I think a lot of us who have CFAs, you know, very analytical, very research oriented. And so you're, you're really, a, you're really an expert in a, in, in kind of an, a particular area. Um, but I think beyond that, you know, I would encourage uh, people to get as much, you know, direct client experience and interaction, uh, interaction as possible, you know, find as many opportunities as possible to, to really use and hone your communication skills, you know, find ways inside your company to get more involved in like strategic initiatives, you know, either within your business area or even at the company level, you know, find opportunities to lead, you know, even if it's a very small project, because I found that as a CIO, having just the investment ex expertise is just not enough. You really need those great communication skills, the client skills, you know, business development. It's basically a much broader perspective and a set and set of skills. 
Thank you. I mean, that's a great feedback to have, right? Because a lot of people assume it's one path and never kind of realize it's a whole uh, different facet of experiences. Yes, exactly. Um, so being the CIO for Elevist, and again, congratulations to your team for bil- hitting the $1 billion <laughs> Thank you. Mark, in deals, <laughs> it you is. know, women power. <laughs> Why do you think it's important for companies like Elvis to um, exist? I think it's really important for companies like Elevest um, because Elevest was founded really to increase access to and also encourage more participation in investing by individuals who, especially those who are new to investing or simply not engaged with investing. I mean, that's you know kind of the mission of Elevest. So it's interesting that the data. Um, the data shows that only I think half, roughly half of U.S. households have investments in the stock market, um, and it's typically you know those who with lower incomes or people of color, women, younger people who don't participate in the markets, and so. You know, my belief is since long-term investing is really a means for building wealth over the long term, it's really important uh, for firms like Elevest and others to provide the solutions and the access to investing that's for everyone and to really continue to work to break down these barriers to investing. So we know that the pandemic has, and just to kind of follow up your key point of kind of bridging the gap, we know that the 2020 pandemic has kind of caused a backwards motions for a lot of women, right? Like many of us are working moms who had to make a decision, stay at home with the kids because schools were closed down or, you know, somehow juggling motherhood and detaining your toddler or, or kindergartner. In your opinion, um, what do you think we should do as a society to kind of help bridge that gap or, you know, are we too far gone? Um, or maybe, you know, we, we aren't and it's just a hiccup and, you know, maybe in a couple of months we'll bounce back. Like, what are your thoughts on those? It is really unfortunate <laughs> that the pandemic has kind of turned into a sheesh a she session. And we have definitely heard from so many women whose, you know, finances have been damaged or, you know, who have had to leave the workforce. Um, and so it does feel like it's a really big setback for women in the workforce. Um, I generally an optimist. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that, um, you know, once we're kind of on this other side and, you know, schools are finally open and there is access to things like daycare, I I'm hopeful and I also do believe that there could be a silver lining in the sense that all of this remote work has kind of, you know, opened the eyes of of corporations that, hey, you know, people can have flexible work schedules, they can work from home and be just as productive, if not more productive. And I think that kind of flexibility is going to be really helpful for women. So, you know, my hope is that, you know, once you know, we've got, you know, most people vaccinated and and things, you know, start to really open up that those women who did, you know, did have to leave the workforce. Now, you know, if their kids can, you know, get back to daycare or school, you know, that they'll actually have more potential opportunities um, because of the potential flexibility in remote working. So that's my um, my silver lining and hope um, for that, but we'll have to see whether that comes to pass or not. Well, I, I think it's a great positive outlook. You know, that is something 
I've read so many articles and it, it has been a great conversation piece, you know, from everybody. Like I, Google is um, extending their remote access for their employees, you know, companies such as that. And to your point, I think there is a lot more investigating for companies to look at the flexibility of work. What is that? What is the new norm? What is that going to look like? Exactly. So I share the same sentiment. I think we will kind of see this on the other side. Um, having said that, now you've worked in the industry for quite some time. What yes. <laughs> you're wiser. That's all I'm saying is that you're far wiser and seen more. <laughs> what are some changes that have you seen that are positive? And what are some things you think uh, the industry still needs to kind of and community needs to work on? Yeah, so gosh, it, it has been a long time. <laughs> But I, do, <laughs> but I do think there have really been a significant number of positive changes um, that are really encouraging. You know, the, the first thing that always comes to mind is, you know, how much fees have come down. You know, fees have dis- decreased significantly, you know, trading commissions. You know, when my dad used to be a stockbroker, I mean, they used to be hundreds of dollars per trade, right? And now, you know, you can trade for zero dollars. So that's a, it's, that's a huge reduction in just the cost of investing. You know, plus there's the creation of ETFs and index funds that have really provided a means for individual investors to invest, to build wealth, um, you know, in a very diversified and low cost manner. Um, I think the rise of digital investing, so companies like Alavest and others um, like Alavest have provided kind of, you know, just average individual investors um, with a way to invest uh, that's more similar to what used to be institutional investing. And so I think, Overall, just the growth of technology um, and technology advances in financial services has brought kind of institutional style investing uh, accessible to individual investors. So I think that's a, a huge positive that we've seen over the last couple of decades. Um, what do we need to improve on? Well, certainly I'd say we need to improve on the representation of women and people of color in the financial industry. So that's definitely one thing. Um, um, and but the second thing I think is, is, um, is something that's just been an issue for a long time. And that's, you know, we need to improve um, on building trust in the industry, you know, financial services year after year, I see the, I see the survey. It still has the lowest trust with its clients compared to all other industries. It's always at the bottom, um, which is really unfortunate because it's always going to be like a few bad players that, you know, make the headlines. And, um, and so I think there's a lot that we can do um, to really build up trust, more trust in our industry. What do you think um, just to follow up on that? uh, What do you think it thinks, can a financial planner do to gain confidence in the building industry? Or maybe more regulations, more open book conversations with clients or education? I think more transparency, and, and we're moving in that direction. You know, when I think about fee transparency and how opaque that used to be. Um, but I do think, I think you hit upon education is also one of them. A lot of times, like, um, you know, clients don't even know what questions to ask. You know, if they don't know even what questions to ask, then, you know, you can be really transparent, but, you know, there's still maybe this kind of distrust. Um, so I think there's, a, it's a lot of things. It's, it's, um, you know, helping clients be more informed for sure. It's, you know, being transparent about what you do and how much you charge. Um, and, and so I think, you know, it's interesting. I, I do think that, um, 
you know, relationship building is a big part of that, building that trust. And that's where I really think women have a distinct advantage over men. Just, you know, I'm talking very general, very generalizations here that women generally are more empathic than men are. And I think that's really important in building those client relationships. And so I feel, hey, if we can get, you know, more women, you know, in the industry and have, you know, a different skill set that that could certainly um, go some ways in, in, in building those relationships of trust. I think your comment um, to kind of clarifies, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm paraphrasing correctly, but kind of putting women's strength and being more empathetic to others is such a great reminder, right? Because usually in a workforce, that is something that was looked down upon being women, being emotional. So for you to kind of bring that up, I think it's it's such a huge admission that we as women should be embracing. Yeah, 100%. A hundred percent. And and I think especially given the challenges of the pandemic, it is even more important. I think empathy is even a more important skill because we've all had our, you know, every, I, I can't imagine anybody on this planet who hasn't had um, some challenges, you know, with respect to, you know, the pandemic. And, you know, I found that leaders who are empathic um, and, and who really um, kind of, you know, express that empathy for, you know, their team, um, you know, as well as other characteristics, but I think that's, that's an important one for, for a leader, especially in, in challenging times like, like this one. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So just switch a little bit more on, on regards to educating, you know, clients. One of the big, for the lack of a better term, trends, and I know um, you had mentioned in, in an interview that I saw that key differentiator for Elvis was impact investing. So what, where do you see impact investing will take place in the next five, 10 years? And how influential is that to an individual who's wanting to invest? And how do you suppose the 2020 pandemic has affected impact investing? I, I actually think it's been very positive. Um, I think that it's accelerated the trend that was already beginning before the pandemic into impact investing. And that's really because, you know, when when the pandemic started, right, there was so much heightened awareness of how companies, you know, treat their customers, how they treat their employees, how they engage with the community, you know, lots of eyes on them. Um, And so it really kind of raised the visibility of, you know, what is the responsibility, you know, what, what responsibility do companies have in, in this kind of global challenge, right? And so I think um, both consumers, you know, ourselves as, as, as consumers and also as investors have demanded more as a result of that. Like, you know, show me, you know, you, um, even the civil unrest that we experienced, all, you know, so much of last year, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of investors like, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, you know, you are, um, you know, you plan, you know, you are all for diversity and inclusion, but I want to see how you're moving in that direction. Right. So I think the pandemic kind of just raised the visibility of the importance of these issues. And so I don't think it's a trend, like just a popular trend that's going to go away. I think the pandemic accelerated it. Um, I think there's more and more interest in impact investing, especially from women and also younger generations like yourselves. And so, 
you know, those are powerful trends um, that I don't think are going away. And I, I'm, I'm super excited about, um, you know, kind of the, the increasing amount of, in, uh, uh, of investments that kind of fall into the situation. Um, so I, I think it's a, um, I'm very optimistic about it. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I think that's that you hit it right on the nail where, when you're saying that now, a lot of the younger generations like myself is not just saying, I want to know what the return of the money is, right? I want to know, are you offsetting carbon footprint? Are you planting trees in the Amazon or are we recycling and, and things like that? And um, how do you think companies will, will, you know, we talked about it's kind of fast tracking them. Do you think that, we kind of see companies going up to it in a much faster rate. And how can we educate clients to kind of, or maybe not clients so much because they're the ones asking for it, but you know, the, the financial planners and saying, guys, this is important. Because I think I, I read somewhere that only like 14% are actually, you know, taking these, uh, you know, impact investing into heart and to be educating their clients for it. So what do you think needs to happen? Who do you think has to have the bigger voice? Do you think there should be a uh, certain type of, you know, governance surrounding it? Like how can we move this forward uh, or, or so? I think there's several ways. Um, certainly there's, there's regulation. Um, which we're seeing more of. And, and I think under the Biden administration, we'll probably see more, but e even, you know, just not even at the federal level, but, you know, California, for example, you know, mandating, you know, women on boards and, and things like that. Um, so, so there's, I think there's regulation that will move the needle somewhat, you know, to all companies, whether they're uh, excited about it or not. Um <laughs> But I do think um, the other thing, um, so besides regulation, um, I think demand is going to move the needle. And, and I think, you know, obviously money is going to be a big motivator, unfortunately. Um, you know, for, for some people, obviously, you know, our younger generations, you know, it's not always about money, but I think probably for folks in our generation, it's maybe a little bit more about money. Um, but it is interesting because um, that's, you know, I hadn't heard that statistic. So I really, I really like that one. But we have seen a number of clients come to LOS because they, their old advisor just didn't listen to them or didn't, you know, they said, hey, I'm really interested in, you know, a low carbon portfolio or whatever. And the advisor heard them, but then didn't do anything about it. Um, so I think if there are more situations like that, where the advisor is actually losing business because they're not paying attention to them, that's what's going to make them pay attention. Um, so I think um, asking again more about this, you know, demanding more from our industry, I think is going to help. And then also, I think going back to your um, your comment about education is informing that this actually is a, a, a could be a really great way to invest. And so we do have some clients who come, and when we talk about sort of the impact investments that we offer, you know, sometimes they'll say, "Wow, I didn't realize that I could invest, you know, for returns and to make a positive impact." And that's when you kind of see the engagement, and you see that, "Wow, you know, they're just kind of their face lights up." Um, so I think that you know, we there's not just one thing that's going to do it. I think it's a combination of all of these things working together 
that will help move the needle. But it is going to be, it's going to take a while. I don't, I don't expect miracles. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, but yeah, I, I'm excited to see what, how that's going to impact and, you know, moving forward. Cause I think everything we decide now with electric cars and, and being more aware of the waste and, um, you know, the environment and global warming, those, I, you know, in my generation has been so prominent. So I'm right. so excited to see it being really touched upon in something like the retail industry, you know, and now into the investment industry, how that's kind of impacting the, the decisions these companies are making. So it's great to see. Um, <clears throat> so what do you think the future looks like for women in the industry? Well, I'm hopeful. <laughs> And I would say maybe cautiously optimistic. Um, I know we discussed there are still few, too few women in the industry across all the functions. And so I think um, historically the financial industry hasn't been that welcoming to women. I'm hopeful that if it changes to become more welcome to women, um, I think that could certainly attract more women to our industry. Um, I do think, since we were just talking about sort of ESG and impact investing, that I do think the growth in that area is going to actually attract more women because I've I've noted that you know so many of the panels, um, you know the the you know, the webinars and things like that that are around ESG and impact investing have a lot of women on those panels. And so I feel like, well, gosh, you know, that's something that, you know, obviously is very attractive to women in our industry. And so I'm hopeful that that, you know, you know, push in that direction will increase the attractiveness of our industry to women. So that's my silver lining, I guess, for that. But again, you know, it is, you know, very male dominated. So it will take some time to change, but I'm hopeful that it will change. I think so, too. I think so, too. Well, with, with that being said, so we know what we want for the future. What is your advice for young women coming into the industry? You know, there are some that we're seeing a, a good influx, but to your point, not, you know, we still got a long way to catch up. But what is your advice for them? Don't give up is my advice. I know, you know, it's. I think I read a statistic where people coming into the industry, it's roughly 50-50, but then women drop off sort of, you know, in, you know, during their career. And, and sometimes it's, you know, to raise a family and things like that and whether they come back or not. But, you know, um, I would say, um, yes, our industry is male dominated, um, but I would encourage women not to believe the myth that in order to be successful in the financial services industry, you have to be aggressive, you have to be competitive, and you have to be more like your male counterpart, male peers. I don't think that's true. And this kind of going back to kind of what we had discussed earlier, I think that there are certain qualities that are generally associated with women that are big advantages in our industry. So we've talked about one of them, empathy, um, in terms of, you know, women in general being more, um, have, you know, showing, being able to express more empathy, you know, better listeners in some sense. And that that is really, really key to building very strong relationships with clients. I would say a second thing, um, the data shows that women um, are, are generally better at identifying and managing risk and downside you know, better at managing downside risk, um, which I think, you know, especially in our industry um, is, is really key. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I, you know, my advice would be really to embrace, you know, kind of what's unique about you and also what's unique about our gender. Instead of seeing them as weaknesses, you know, turn them into advantages uh, for your career. 
I love that. I, I love the whole embracing who we are. You know, let's not change for a male exactly. We're completely different from them. You know, we have our strength. This is why you have men and female, right? That's right. <laughs> because there's two different strengths. So tell me, who inspired you? Who inspires you and why? And is it someone in the industry, outside? You know, who inspires you? So I would say, um, you know, the person who comes to mind, you know, in terms of, you know, my, my, my career is uh, one of my dissertation advisors um, and also a co-founder of the first startup company that I, that I joined um, was William Sharp, um, winner of the Nobel Prize in Economics. Um, so I feel so fortunate to have worked with him both in an academic setting um, when I was in graduate school and also in a business setting um, and he, I would say, really inspired just by example. And so although he was, you know, always the smartest person in the room, he was also the most humble. And so he was never afraid to, you know, ask questions and show a vulnerability, um, which I was just uh, really surprised. And that really stuck with me. Um, instead of delegating, which he could easily get, you know, a bunch of research students to do, you know, the grunt work, he always rolled up his sleeves and did the hard work. And so I really learned from him to both kind of approach my work um, with humility and an open mind. Um, like, and I can always learn something. Um, and also really doing the hard work yourself really has helped me build kind of a foundation of expertise going forward. And so I credit him with a lot of just, you know, it wasn't like he was my mentor or anything like that. It was just, you know, in our, you know, my interaction with him and observing how he behaved and, you know, whether it's in meetings or what have you um, was really inspiring for me. I love that. I love those key takeaways of, you know, role, no matter where you are, right, in roles and, and title or the pristine and keeping it humble. Um, that definitely goes a long way. So that's so endearing to hear. <laughs> So I know I asked for only 30 minutes away, about one more minute here. So I have to ask, what are some of your passion and activities that you do outside of work? And if, did you pick up any new hobbies during the lockdown last year? I just probably did more of what I enjoy doing. I mean, living in the Bay Area, as you know, we have such great weather here. So I love the outdoors. Um, so I do a lot of cycling and running in the area. Um, I also did triathlons pre-COVID, you know, obviously that's kind of all gone away a little bit. So I hope to get back into that uh, sometime, you know, in the not too distant future, um, have to start swimming again. Um, and I also love to make uh, ice cream. That's my big thing. And I like to experiment with different flavor combinations. Of course, I like to eat ice cream too, which is why I have to do a lot of cycling and running. <laughs> but yeah, so that's... Uh, so I've continued doing this through COVID um, and it helps definitely has helped my sanity. <laughs> <laughs> no gardening, no extra baking, like everybody else picks up. <laughs> no, probably. Well, I did. Okay. So on the bacon front, I did. <laughs> my husband really loves bacon, but I started making millionaires bacon. You know what millionaires bacon no, is? Oh, so they have that. I have, they have it at several restaurants here. Some, some, some places they actually call it billionaire's bacon, but it's basically, you know, thick cut bacon that's kind of glazed. Um, I, at first I thought it was maple syrup. It's actually like yeah. kind of brown sugar. So it's, and it's also a little bit spicy, but oh. it, it is so 
good. <laughs> and so, you know, without a place to go, like I'm like, oh, let me figure out if I can make it on my own. <laughs> so I got a pack of, and it is really fantastic. So I have been making millionaires bacon, but you know, I don't, I make a batch, I freeze it. And then it gets like parceled out slowly. <laughs> have you put it in ice cream? You're sprinkling in ice cream. Cause that would be amazing flavor. Yes. So yes. Bacon and ice cream is really <laughs> I think there's a theme here because I do like grape nut ice cream. That's one that I like to make. So there's something about breakfast in ice cream. Hey, that somehow I integrate the two. If you can justify me eating ice cream in the morning, I'm all for it. Yes. You don't even need it. It's the breakfast of champions. Exactly. It's got, you know, it's got dairy, you know, it's got protein. It's like. Yeah. It's all the pyramids. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> thank you so much Samir. really truly thank you thank you for joining me today I don't want to take too much of your time I know you're super busy and probably so many things to juggle but before we sign off any last minute thoughts or any anything you want to share with us that we can share with our members I can't think of anything. I think we covered a lot of ground. These are great yeah. questions. Thank you so much. This was a lot <laughs> well, of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I hope um, um, in the future we'll do more topics and kind of conversation pieces like this. And Jimin, I think you have such great insight, especially when it comes to women in the industry. Thank you for listening to this week's Meet a Member segment. And many thanks to Sylvia Kwan for her insights. Please stay tuned for more Meet a Member interviews featured every fourth Tuesday in our weekly newsletters.